morning. It's great to see you all. Welcome to our weekly gathering of, of Parkview East Church family. I'm Len Brooks, one of the elders here at East Campus. And our prayer is that we'll become disciplers of disciples. In that together this morning that we'll have a vital learning relationship with God and his word. And we'll have vital relational experiences also with God and each other. And that through the week we'll have serving and evangelistic opportunities in the community so that the community is blessed and God is glorified. If you're visiting this morning, a special welcome to you. We'd love to meet you and tell you more about who we are. And if you have any questions, you could, I'll be in the back of the room and please, please feel free to come back and talk with me. Also, if you'd like prayer, I'll be back in back of the room there for anyone who would like some prayer. Well, I have one, one uh, announcement that's rather bittersweet that uh, as was announced earlier this week, Josh Casey and John Zarinsky will be leaving Parkview in the coming months. Both Josh and John have been exploring opportunities for some time now. And during this season of transition, it felt like God was calling them in new directions. Doug is planning a video round table with Josh and John sometime in the near future to discuss their decisions. So we're certainly going to miss Josh and John because both, both have made deep relationships with many people and have had significant impact on Parkview Church. And in the future, there will be opportunities to express our love and gratitude to them. And while we're saddened to see these men leave, we are also excited for them. We support what God has in store for them and their families and, and are excited for their ministry opportunities that will be coming in the future. And while we're going through a painful transition, we can have excitement also because we are still God's church. And as the Christmas story reminds us, and as we will see in Isaiah 35, that in God's sovereignty, sovereign working in our lives, there is always something more going on behind the scenes that he is doing, that sometime in the future we'll be amazed at what he did. And I think that's true for us right now. So now let's turn our eyes and hearts to worship our sovereign and saving God. Why don't you all stand with us? It's Advent season, so we're going to start by singing, O come, all ye faithful. Glory to God, glory to God. 
is coming from Philippians 2 this morning. It goes about like this, Philippians 2, verse uh, 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. And this is our call this morning. Therefore, God has, exactly, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that includes our knees. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's what we're doing with the rest of our service this morning. Let's, let's tell God who he is. Let's sing O Holy Night together.
peace. Change shall he break. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. That's true. Sweet winds of joy in a seat. And the Sunday school kids are dismissed. This morning our scripture reading comes from Isaiah 35 verses 3 through 6 and 10. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. With the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And the transformed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sign shall flee away. Hello. Um, good. Great to be with you all. Okay. Are we all right? Good. Oh, my collar. We'll get this fixed. We did it. We're good. We're good. We're good. All right, guys. We're going to be all right. Well, greetings to you all. 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's great to be worshiping Jesus together. And uh, we're going to continue worshiping Jesus as we open our Bibles. And so we're going to look at Isaiah 35 this morning. So if you want to open to Isaiah 35, if you're newer to reading the Bible, Isaiah might be a little bit more difficult to find. So we'll give you time. No rush here. Uh, it'll be more towards the middle of your Bible, closer to kind of the Psalms. Um, so uh, make your way towards Isaiah 35, and we'll be focusing our time there. And we're in a season of Advent, and Advent, uh, right, we're, you kind of do two moves in Advent. You look back towards the first coming of Christ, in which he came in his uh, life and ministry, his death and resurrection. He defeated sin, the penalty of sin, through his crucifixion and resurrection, and defeated death and Satan and hell and the judgment of God, uh, the, the penalty of it. And yet, right, uh, we're not in heaven right now, right? And so Advent is a time then to look forward to the promised second coming of Jesus, the second Advent arriving, Advent arrival coming, uh, where Jesus will then eradicate and rinse clean this whole world in our hearts of sin forever. So in his first coming, he deals with the penalty of sin. And uh, in the second coming, he deals with the presence of sin. And so we're in this in-between time where we look back on his first coming, but we also look forward at the very same time. That's what Advent is all about. And, uh, and we need Advent as a church. I'm assuming many of you, most of you got the email, right? That we have two, uh, two of our pastors are, are departing uh, Parkview for good reasons. The Lord's just calling them to, to different uh, areas of ministry in different churches. Um, John Zerwinski heading uh, to the south. Uh, a church in South Carolina, and, and, and Josh Casey has a new ministry endeavor uh, that he's uh, pursuing. And so that's hard for us as a church. And if we are honest, uh, at least as a staff pastor, uh, it can be really discouraging. And we've already experienced a lot of discouragement as a church. And this kind of feels like another gut punch. And so it's just hard. We love these men. They're men of honor and men of gospel integrity. And we're so thankful for the ministry among us. And so losing them is really hard. And, and it can cause a lot of discouragement. And not only this as a church that we're experiencing, but obviously we're living in a pandemic. And all the complicating factors that COVID has presented to us, uh, some of you, you know, are experiencing either uh, yourself or at, uh, at home with the kids. You know, online learning is not ideal. And um, I'm, I'm, as a pastor, I'm concerned for some of our college students are, you know, averaging about six to eight hours of screen time every day. And then... Uh, you know, what they do after that to hang out and relax, they watch YouTube videos and play video games on screens. And so some of them are upwards towards 10 to 11 hours of screen time every day. And that's really concerning because that itself can bring its own challenges and discouragement to your soul. Um, one of our staff pastors recently talked about how psychologists and sociologists are naming what could eventually become COVID-20. They don't mean it's going to be the continuation of this virus, although probably will enter into, you know, uh, next next year but what they mean is the effects of the kind of long season of the pandemic we've been through the effects on anxiety that we've probably many of us know you know there's been a radical increase of anxiety and depression and just a lot of hopelessness and so um this is why isaiah 35 is so encouraging to us because no matter what we're going through as a church no matter what we're experiencing in the midst of COVID or whatever other complicating factor that is in your life, even if you removed COVID, some massive discouragement or anxiety uh, or kind of that weakness, right? Uh, if you look at Isaiah 35 verse 3, it talks about those having weak hands, meaning they can't kind of hold on to hope. 
or those with feeble knees, meaning they don't feel like they have the kind of internal oomph to keep moving forward. They don't have much to live for. Then the next phrase it says, right, to encourage the anxious hearts. And so Isaiah 35 is written to a time in, God's, uh, in the life of God's people, God's ancient people, many, many years ago, in which they were surrounded by a lot of fierce, oppressive enemies, and it was causing a lot of fear, a lot of concern, a lot of discouragement. And in the midst of that, Isaiah 35 is given to them from the Lord. And so Isaiah 35, basically, it's a promise of joyful salvation. That's what we have this morning. What we need most as a church, what we know, need most right now in Advent individually is a promise of everlasting joy in Jesus. What we need is not some nice phrases, but the indestructible joy of Jesus Christ. And that's what Isaiah 35 gives to us. Isaiah 35 is not a pep talk of niceties from a coworker about some struggle you're going through via text message, okay? Isaiah 35 is the equivalent of your friend coming over to your apartment. Clothes are everywhere. You just got done weeping because of some problem in your life. And the Christmas turkey just got burned, okay? That's kind of the condition that Isaiah 35 is meant to speak to. Well, your friend comes beside you, puts, your, puts their arm around you, and says, let's look to the Lord together. There is joy in Jesus that can be found in this time. So Isaiah 35 is just a real huge hug from the Lord to us in this time of Parthia. So can we read it uh, again? And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just read specifically verses 3 to 4 and then the last, uh, the last verse. But it's just good to, to be reminded of the word of the Lord again. So starting in verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble, feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And then down to verse 10. And the ransom of the Lord shall return to him, and they shall come to Zion, the dwelling place of God, with great singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. It's given to us in love. Please pray with me. Father, please use this text to exalt Jesus uh, into our hearts. Lord, we ask for a special uh, empowering of your spirit, both to listen intently to your word, to hear exactly to what you're speaking to us right now, comfort, joy, and also to use me as a servant, Lord, to these people that you love, these people that I love. Lord, I pray that our hearts are just deeply encouraged in the joy that we have in Christ and this future promise, Lord, of this new creation, of this, this new life that we have with you forever. And we pray this in his name, in the name of Christ. Amen. So I was thinking back recently uh, to some gifts I received as a little boy. Uh, seventh grade was the Xbox, the original Xbox that I got. Yay, that was an exciting one. Uh, ninth grade, I got these cool headphones uh, for my iPod. Not an iPhone, but an iPod. There used to be this thing called an iPod. And uh, that was exciting. And then uh, recently, I just get a bunch of books now. That's what I just, I get books, I get happy. And happy books make me happy. Uh, but I remember one gift in particular when I was a little boy that was really special to me. Uh, it, was, it was a gift that was handmade for me, my name on it. And, uh, and it, the cool thing was it was one gift, but with it came multiple blessings, okay? One gift, but it had kind of multiple blessings to it, okay? And it was a tool belt from my grandfather, okay? My grandfather made me a tool belt. Uh, one gift, multiple aspects, right? You had the hook for the pliers. You had the hole for the hammer. You had the place where the tape measure would go. You had the place where the wrench was. 
And I love as a little boy is amazing because then you got all those tools and it's one thing and you just have it's like multi-purpose awesomeness. Okay, as a little boy walking around, and I knew nothing what to do other than just I would uh, hammer holes in trees. Okay, it with any tool I had, and then I don't guess I'd measure the tree. I don't know how to do the trade measure there, but otherwise it was just damage a tree um, as soon as possible. Anyways, but as a young boy, I love this gift. It was given to uh, to me by my grandfather who loved me. It was specifically for me, but it was that it was that amazing thing of. Wow, one thing, but it could do so much. Just one gift, multiple blessings. And that's what's amazing with Isaiah 35. We're looking at the theme of salvation. Isaiah 34 is about the Lord's coming judgment. Isaiah 35, the Lord's coming salvation. And so it's a whole chapter about the kind of multi-blessings that come with the one gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to look at those blessings, those multiple blessings, one at a time. Okay, So let's look at verses 1 to 2. And look at the first blessing, which is a new focus. We have a new focus in Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says, The wilderness and dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And then it continues, this kind of blessing of this new focus and the new creation Continues in verse 6 and 7. For waters break forth in wilderness, streams in the desert. Burning sand shall become a pool. Thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, when they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And so one of the things that can happen, if you go back to kind of the, the problems that we have in our life, what I like to think of it kind of as we have these like sadness spirals, right? Where at the beginning of the day, some problem comes into our mind. And by the end of the day, all we've done for most of the day is kind of just dwell on that problem over and over again. Because the problem in our lives, uh, some difficulty, some emptiness, some lack in our life, something that's not good enough, we, we think about it. And throughout the day, we keep thinking about it. We keep getting more sad. And then we keep thinking about the reason why we're sad, which is the problem. You know, and we keep kind of going down this spiral. You know what that's like. To live a day where most of the time, your attention, you're working on stuff, but kind of in the background noise of your mind is this problem that you keep focusing on. And it's not just us personally, right? We live in a 24 hours news cycle where Twitter and kind of wherever you get your news source is always updating us on some problem, uh, some problem in politics, some problem in society, some problem globally. And, we're, and what happens is uh, we keep our focus on the issues, okay, on the problems. This is what I lack. This is the area of emptiness in my life. This is where I, uh, um, I have kind of this, this sense of decay and things are not being right. And, and Isaiah 35 was written to people that, was, that were uh, struggling with the same type of thing. And yet notice in the first two verses, the focus is on the Lord's abundance and joy. Again, verses one and two, the wilderness shall be glad. The desert, the place of emptiness, the, the place of death and decay, it shall rejoice. The desert shall rejoice with joy and singing. And then verse two, Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon, those are places that mean nothing to us, but in the ancient context, those are places of, of abundance and overflowing kind of green, lush environments. And so what we see here is this picture of this coming kind of new world, this new cosmos, in which everything that was in decay and desert and wilderness and emptiness is transformed through the work of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, right, in verse 2, fills it with overflowing life and vitality and joy. You see, in Jesus, the promise that we have is a new focus on his coming new creation. 
in which he himself will remake this physical world. And what has been flipped inside out and upside down through sin will be turned right side up and in, outside in or whatever. You know, everything will be put back together again. That's what the Lord Jesus does. And it all heads to a crescendo of verse 2 where it says they will see the glory of God. It's about beholding the Lord. So the Lord who overflows with joy fills a world with joy of fullness and abundance for our lack. And this is really good news, right? Because if you go back to that, that sadness spiral, what's the, that thing in your life, right, that kind of gets you throughout the day, kind of just robs you of your joy. What happens in the first verse is that almost the Lord is overwhelming his people and saying, listen up to this new world that I am going to create. I'm going to recreate this world. C.S. Lewis in his great allegorical meditation on heaven uh, the, the Great Divorce, my favorite books. Um, there's a line where he's, there's a section where he says this, uh, we cannot in our present state understand eternity, that is what we, which we often misunderstand. We say of some temporal suffering, okay, our problem, that sadness spiral, no future bliss can make up for this. Not knowing that heaven, the new creation, what's promised here, in uh, Isaiah 35, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. So the question is, Parfew, this morning is, what is that agony? What is that agony in your life that has the persistent capability of causing discouragement and fear and kind of a sense of emptiness, that desert place that wilderness place. And not just personally, I mean, even just think again about where our church is. Our church in some ways is, is, is in a desert time. But the promise of Jesus Christ from Isaiah 35 is this, is that his promise to you is that he's bringing a new creation. And it is a place of joy. It is a place of beauty. It is a place of verse two, right? Where, where his glory will be seen. And here's why this is good news. Because in 2 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul, writing to a, a Corinthian church that is just so discouraged and weak and has a ton of emptiness and despair, what he says to them is that the secret to the Christian life is to behold, to see, verse 2, the glory of the Lord, but to do so by faith. So the promise of Isaiah 35 is, yes, there is a future time, right? Advent is, is both back and forward. There's a future forward-looking time where there's a new creation, world full of, of joy and glory, where the Lord will take those agonies and reverse them, and even through them, pour out blessing upon your life. That's just amazing. But right now, what we need to learn is over time through prayer in the context of community to keep focusing on Jesus. Because joy is not just future fairy tale land, like what you might get if you read Harry Potter and you finish Harry Potter and you think, oh, isn't that nice? I'd like to go to Hogwarts one day. Too bad it's not real. Some of us think of joy that way in our Christian life. No, joy is actually tangible and real in our current Christian life right now. And the way that you get joy is by beholding Jesus by faith. And the way you do that is through prayerful reflection on scripture and the context of community over a long period of time. And so all the more reason uh, to attend to our community groups or whatever it is right now where we're, where we're together, helping each other stop focusing on the problem, right? Isn't this really good news? Because what happens is we keep focusing on the issue, focusing on the pr problem, the sadness spiral, 
But what we need instead is a way to kind of cut off the spiral and to look up to the Lord, a new focus. That is the verses one and two, a new focus on the Lord and his coming new creation. But we get little foretaste, right? Uh, the server, you've, you've, you've ordered the main meal. The server comes a little appetizer, a little taster. You can taste real joy right now. It's not the fullness of it, but there is real substantial joy that can be given to you in Jesus as you behold him. Verse two, the glory of the Lord. So that's the gift of salvation. Blessing number one, okay? Blessing number one is a new focus on the Lord's fullness for our emptiness, okay? Blessing number two is uh, seeing in verse five, a new life, a new life, power for our weakness. One of the issues that happens, right, is when we become discouraged and anxious, we oftentimes forget God's transforming power through weakness. In Isaiah 35, Parkview, is Jesus saying to you that he has abundant transforming power for those who are in weakness. Look, notice in verse 5 to 7 how each suffering or broken place is reversed. The eyes of the blind are open. The deaf ears are unstopped. The lame leap. The mute man sings for joy. The exact opposite is happening. These are all pictures of God pouring out new life, new power, and therefore new purpose into the very things that our world disregards as weak and helpless. And this is the ministry of Jesus, right? I mean, it's really fascinating. If you read Matthew 11, and I think it's in Luke 7, where Jesus' ministry begins, he's healing a lot of people, his fame is increasing, and John the Baptist is wondering, is this Jesus I'm hearing about? Is this the one that God had promised in the Old Testament to his people that there'd be a coming person who would bring this kind of new creation blessing of God where God's kingdom would be established and sickness and all the thing would be kind of cast away and there'd be a new era of God's purposes among his people. Is this, is this Jesus that I'm hearing about? Is this Jesus? And then Jesus responds by quoting, basically quoting Isaiah 35 where he says, this is uh, Matthew Matthew 11, Jesus says, the blind tell John, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, right? We just saw that in verse five of Isaiah 35. And so the ministry of Jesus is one that brings new life and power in and through weakness, transforming people. So yes, on the one hand, Jesus does and can heal people, but in the ministry of Jesus, his earthly ministry in the gospels, his physical healings were always a pointer to two things. One, a deeper inner healing of sin, the sickness and disease of sin, but also a future healing of when he comes and establishes his kingdom once and for all in the new creation. And so one of the things that's really exciting is if you look at the New Testament after the Gospels, especially the letters of Paul, how he looks at the death and resurrection of Jesus as kind of this new era that has begun, that has spiritual application now, but then will have physical application in the future. What do I mean? Well, if you look at uh, Romans 6, uh, there's a section where, where, where Paul says this about the resurrection of Jesus. He says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by glory, Christ raised from the dead physically, a real physical body, raised by the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, which begins spiritually now, okay? So physical resurrection begins a spiritual resurrection, a newness of life in Jesus Christ. Now, why is all this important? And what am I really trying to get at? I'm trying to get at this. The promise of Isaiah 35 for weak people is that God's power is not displayed in your life. God's life, his life-giving joy, is not displayed in your life when you get past your problems or when you outgrow your weakness 
or when you kind of figure out a way to manage the issue in your life that you wish wasn't there. It is actually the ministry of Jesus is one that goes his power to your weakness. We see this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, right? Paul, again, here he is struggling. Verse 8 says, three times he pleaded with the Lord. Lord, this is the thing, right? We all know this is like, this thing, Lord, if you could just remove this, my ministry and blessing to others will just increase ex exponentially. So Lord, take away this thing. Three times he prayed, probably meaning he prayed more than three times. It's just a kind of a summary, uh, summary word. And then the Lord, look at the Lord's answer in verse 9 of uh, chapter 12, 2 Corinthians. He said to me, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest upon me. So the secret to joy, the secret to joy in the Christian life, according to Isaiah 35, and then obviously fleshed out later in the New Testament, is that the Lord's power is displayed, rests upon you in your weakness, in the problem area, in the area of confusion, in the thing that you think, if this was not here, my life would be better and my ministry would be more fruitful. That actually is from Satan. That is not the way of Jesus Christ. The way of Jesus Christ, the ministry of Jesus, talked about in Isaiah 35, but fulfilled in the New Testament is this. It is how Jesus brings resurrection to crucifixions. That is the way of Jesus Christ. We're learning that right now in 1 Corinthians. That's what 1 Corinthians is all about. It's a church that is thinking, if we got past all of the weakness and all of the problems and started living on the higher Christian life of true success, what the world thinks is powerful, then we'd really be a great church. What Paul's trying to teach us in 1 Corinthians has been, no, it is through the weakness that Jesus' power is made perfect. Zechariah 4, 9 has been a verse recently that's been so amazing. I was reading with my 24-7 staff. It says, not by human strength or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit empowering us, Parkview Church. In our places, the, the deaf, the blind, the can't walk, they are then brought into a place of joyful singing and freedom and power. So yes, on the one hand, isn't it amazing? Those of you who have been struggling with some chronic issue or physical problem for like 13 years now, Isaiah 35 is such a nourishing word from Jesus Christ. There is a day where your body will function properly. You'll be given this indestructible, like Captain America body. I don't know what the new creation buys him like. It's going to be just incredible. And the, and the pain of it will be gone. And at the very same time, there's also this spiritual promise that, that the issues we face, they are not issues to try to figure out how can we move around them. But no, very, the very much in them, the Lord meets you with his power. Jesus loves doing this. But how does that happen? Well, oftentimes God's power is released in his church through a praying people. And so I can't help but think right now, God's power through our weakness. Every Tuesday morning, you know, there's a, there's a prayer gathering on Zoom. It's available for anyone. Why don't you join us? There's several of us that are meeting every Tuesday morning at Parkview uh, on, on Zoom for now. And this is a great chance for us to cry out for the Lord, to empower us. Because right now, guys, we're in a church. We're in a time. We feel pretty weak right now. We're, you know, we're losing great pastors and, uh, and the Lord's power. He wants to pour it out upon us right now. Isn't that amazing? It's an amazing promise from Isaiah 35, fulfilled in Jesus. Okay, so blessing one of salvation is a new focus on the Lord's new creation coming. Okay? His fullness for our emptiness. Blessing two, new life, his power for our weakness. But then blessing three from Isaiah 35 is a new home. 
a new home, his redemption for our joy, his redemption for our joy. A few of us in my community group, uh, some of the guys were reading through a book that's talking. One of the themes in the book is kind of how we all have a longing for home, right? Especially the holidays, right? Holidays is a sense of, I want to go, want to go back home. Now, some of us don't have, maybe don't have the most amazing home lives. Uh, other of us do. But even in culture, right? I mean, my goodness, uh, all the Hallmark movies are somehow about going home and I guess then falling in love or whatever. But home, right? We, as, as a people, as a culture, as, as humans, we, we kind of have this compass that's kind of always directing us towards home. That's probably why any of us, that if we have had uh, uh, homes that were you know, unhealthy environments, why the pain of it's so hard because the good of it was designed to be such a blessing. And that's why I think we feel it so deeply. But even those of us who think, oh man, home, if I can just go home, we get home for holiday, holidays. You know what happens? It's never what we hoped it to be. You know, there's always some disappointing factor to it. It's never what we had hoped. Something elusive. So we arrive home, but it's not home. And I think it's designed that way because it's meant to draw us to our true home. Talked about here in verse, verse 8 to 10. And a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. Verse 9, the redeemed shall walk there. The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. Zion's the, the Old Testament signifies the dwelling place of God with his people. And it's a place of singing and joy and gladness and more joy and sorrow and sighing will flee, flee away. It's a place where all the tears will be wiped away. All sin of, of our own hearts in this world will be just kind of rinsed clean finally and forever. And we'll be with our Lord. But notice, I want you to notice something. There's a few things we could notice, but I want you to specifically see how, how is it? How is it that we get on this way of holiness? Because that's very clear, right? The way to get home is a way of holiness. And one of the things we have to remember, Parkview Church, is that holiness matters to the Lord. Heaven, not everyone makes it to heaven. It's only for those who are on the way of holiness. So how do you get the way of holiness? It doesn't say in this verse there's some clever people that kind of jump the fence and figure out to you know, sneak and snuggle their way towards the holy way and finally make it to heaven. No, it says, look, verse 9, the redeemed. Verse 10, the ransom of the Lord shall return. And when they return, joy and gladness and singing, everlasting joy. And so there's a pattern here at the very end. It says to make it home, to make it to the home, the place of joy, it has to happen through redemption. See, the good news part of you is this. The Lord, our Lord, is so committed to your everlasting joy. He is willing to pay whatever the redemption price, ransom. Those are just two words basically signifying a costly payment to draw someone back into fellowship. And so what we see here, see here the very last part of Isaiah 35 is a promise. And there is a world of joy, and it's filled with people who have been redeemed. And the Lord is so desirous of you experiencing happiness forever. He is willing to pay whatever price it takes to bring you home to himself. And of course, this leads us right to Jesus Christ. Right to Jesus. Jesus is so wonderful, isn't he? This Christmas, can we refocus on Christ? Can we see the new life we have in Christ? Can we see the home, the home of joy that is awaiting us in Jesus? And that he himself is willing to lay down his life through the precious blood of Jesus, it says, that we are redeemed in 1 Peter 1. We are redeemed through the precious blood of Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ entered this world of weariness, 
this world of weakness, this world of anxiety and pain and suffering. And he did so that he could pay the price of redemption with his blood. Christ was emptied so that you could be filled with joy. Jesus became weak so that you might be empowered by his very Holy Spirit. Christ went to the cross of redemption so that you could be welcomed home to the Father of joy. Joy, Parkview Church, is our home. I'll conclude with this. On, a, on Christmas Eve at my house, uh, the Christmas presents were already around the tree. Most of you, maybe that's how it was. Some of you, maybe, you know, your parents were like, they kept them secret and at the end. Ours, they were already, already there. And, uh, and I just was imagining, you know, what if my brother, an older brother, what if one Christmas Eve, he would, you know, parents are asleep, he would have snuck me into our living room and he would have grabbed one of the gifts that was designed for me with my name on it. And he would have t took it and then he would have unwrapped it in front of me and then showed me what it was. Wait, it's an Xbox. And uh, it's an Xbox. So I know what the gift is, but then he says, okay, I'm going to rewrap it. I'm going to put it on the tree so that, you know, mom and dad don't need to know this happened. Uh, so it's your gift. You already know what it is. But he said, wait, just one night and it'll be yours. And you'll actually get to experience the gift. And that's kind of what happens with Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ comes in his first coming and he, he brings us the gift of salvation. He unwraps it in a sense and says, this is what it is. This is the new life I give you. This is the fullness I want to pour into your life of emptiness. This is the power I want to give you in the midst of your weakness. This is the home I want to bring you to. But he kind of wraps it back up and he says, it's Christmas Eve. It's not Christmas morning yet. And so, you know, as a little boy, that night, I'd imagine I'm in agony. I'm like, oh, I want to unwrap the present. I want to play with my Xbox. I want to play, you know, I want to see. And I have to wait and wait and wait and wait. But you know what? No matter the agony that I would experience as a little kid, there's always joy in the morning because I know the salvation, the fullness of the salvation, that full gift is coming. And so some of, right now we have to realize, right, we are in a place of waiting where Jesus, yes, has dealt with sin definitively through his death and resurrection. But you know what? we still sin. Yes, Jesus has triumphed over suffering through his own suffering on the cross, but you know what? We still suffer. We are in a season of waiting, a season of longing called Advent, where yes, there are weaknesses in this church. Yes, there feels emptiness, but there is a promise of a world of joy coming. There is a promise of a new creation. There's a promise of fullness for our emptiness, power for our weakness. It's Christmas Eve, okay? But guess what? Joy is coming in the morning. Joy is coming in the morning. So we have to keep waiting. And so how do we wait faithfully? Well, there's one thing I skipped in this section. I think it's just so amazing. Look back up at verse three to four. We'll end our time looking at this. Verse, verses three to four says this, strengthen, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, behold, fear not your God. Your God will come. He will come with recompense and vengeance. Sounds, whoa, what? means justice. Any harm done to you, any oppression, if you're connected through Jesus by faith, he will come with justice. He will set that right in his time, in his way. Behold, it says, he will come and save you. Why is this significant? I didn't really know that reading Isaiah 35, this is something fresh and new this week that I saw. Verses one and two, what is it? Just a promise of a world, new world of joy, new creation, fullness for emptiness, right? Verses five to seven, what is it? Kind of this new life, power for a weakness. Verses eight to 10, what do we see? We see this new home that's promised. We're gonna be in the presence of our Lord forever, beholding the glory, glorious beauty of his face. 
But in, right in the middle, what do we see? We see a command. We see a command for the people of God to look out at their brothers and sisters and to identify those who are weak, those who are feeble, those who are stumbling, those who are suffering, those who are anxious, those who feel like they can't get their life together. And we need to come alongside those suffering, anxious, dear brothers and sisters and said, behold, behold, your God will come. Behold, joy is coming. Behold, your God will bring you joy. And so what is it that we are called to as a church? It's very clear. The Lord Jesus is calling us to be a church where we help each other kind of unwrap the gifts, the gift of salvation, where we remind each other of the great gift that we have, right? Yes, we have our sadness spirals. Yes, it's easy to focus on the problems and what we lack and our issues. And this is not like this. And I wish this was more like that. And I, et cetera, et cetera. But we need friendships in this church. Exactly what Len started out with, right? Discipling basically just means help another person who's struggling, weak, and anxious to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and to remind each other of the great promise that we have that we have the assurance, right? Jesus has come once, friends, he will come again. Has the Lord ever been unfaithful to his promises? No, never. So he will come. He will establish a new world order of joy forever. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those with anxious hearts, behold, behold, your Lord will come to save you we can rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, who in his mercy came once to deal with sin. And yet, it's not Christmas morning, and we need to help each other. We need to remind each other. We need to come alongside one another in our weakness and sin and say, brother and sister, take heart. Be strong. Behold, your Lord will come with justice and with salvation. He will put right all that is wrong. And so help us, Lord. Help us see one another. Help us understand one another. Help us walk sympathetically with one another in the midst of our challenges and weakness. Lord, revive this church. Fill us afresh, we pray, with joy. Amen. Amen. Is Doug Fern here? He is not. He's not. Wait, you're up. You're leading communion. I'm doing it. I brought it just in case. Here we go. Well, what a great time uh, to celebrate communion. You know, communion uh, is, is a meal given to us by Jesus. Uh, it's a physical, tangible sign of his expression of love for us, right? Just like if you have a spouse or a friend and you want to show them, I really love you a lot. I really care for you. You know, right now in the season, what do you do? You give them a physical gift, right? You don't just say it, but you say, hey, I love you. And also, new Xbox or whatever the cool thing is right now. That is a sign that you love them. And so the Lord Jesus, because he understands that we are weak and frail and that we forget that he loves us, right? We forget all the time. And we get so fearful and anxious. Because he understands that about us, he gives us the Lord's Supper as a physical sign, as a gift, that this is, this is my joy, this is my love for you given to you. And so on the night that he was betrayed, he shared this meal one last time with his followers. And so this, this meal is given to those who here have admitted their sinfulness, their brokenness, their great need for Jesus Christ, for those who by faith 
have received this gift of salvation, that have received the saving mercy of Jesus in your life. So if you're here and you're new to Christianity, we'd ask that you would not celebrate this with us because we just don't want you to be saying something publicly that is not true, true about you inwardly. And so just, you know, uh, just don't, uh, don't share this with us. But instead, what if you spent time reflecting, is this whole Jesus thing true? Is this real for me? Is this something I can get in on? And yes, you can. And by faith, you can receive it. But for now, if you've not yet embraced Christ, we ask that you would uh, just not celebrate this with us. And so, friends, we're celebrating the heart of Christianity here. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And we receive this meal by faith, trusting that in this, Jesus himself, in a mysterious way, is right there present with us by the Holy Spirit, enjoying this meal with us, reassuring us of his love. And so I think, does everyone have? Yeah? Okay. Go ahead and raise your hand real quick if you don't have If something. you don't, we can, we'll we can grab you one. Oh, nice. everyone has one. Well done. And so uh, here it is. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Family, this is the body of Christ given for you. Let's do this together. In the same way, Jesus then took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. Family, this is the cup of the new covenant, forgiveness of sins and new life in Christ. Let's do this together. Let's drink together. For as often as you drink this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, as we eat this meal, we confess to the whole church around the world, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again, bringing a, a new world of joy. We honor you, oh God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Thank you so much, Father, for sending your Son in love, Jesus, for coming in love to be the redemption for our sins through the blood of your cross. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for awaking us to the reality of Christ and all the good that is ours in him. And as we eat this meal, we wait eagerly with hope and anticipation for the resurrection of our bodies when we will Eat this meal again, but in the beauty of your presence. And what a day that will be, Jesus, in your joy. Everlasting joy and singing, beholding your face. We cannot wait for that day, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. Amen.